Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Lord Green. We also have Daniel Schaefer, our investment banking correspondent. And from Basel, we have Sam Fleming, our financial policy correspondent. Today, we'll be talking about Lord Green's views on the city in Europe and the growing debate about the importance of this in-out question for the future of the City of London. Secondly, we'll be going to Basel to hear about the latest proposals from the Financial Stability Board on bank capital. And finally, Daniel will be talking about the foreign exchange settlements and also the precious metal settlements that UBS has been in the news for on Monday and further settlements due later in the week. First, though, to that broad topic of the EU membership, or the UK's membership of the EU, The crescendo seems to be increasing all the time, Lord Green, over this whole topic. You gave a speech last week in which you stressed the benefits for the city in particular. Perhaps you could start by outlining the main benefits that you see. Well, Patrick, uh, yes, I did give the speech. And in a sense, the message is quite a simple one. The large majority of businesses, both in the financial services sector, but actually more broadly in the real economy too, think that Britain belongs within Europe, but within a reformed Europe. And all parts of that sentence are important. Why is that true? It's because of the massive advantages of a broad and deep single market. We've got a long way to go to work on that. I think in summary terms, the single market is in quite good shape as far as the goods sectors of economies are concerned, but it's in very early stages in services sector and barely off the starting blocks in the digital economy. There's a lot of work to do for the real economy as a whole. As far as financial services in particular is concerned, it's important for it too that we have the opportunity, the we is an EU we, not just a city we, not just a UK we, but the EU as a whole, to gain the benefits of a large unified market. Now, you have a very interesting perspective on this because you're a former government minister on the trade side, but also former chairman of HSBC. For banks in particular, as you said, financial services have a particular issue here, but for banks, it's arguably more important than for any industry, isn't it, that we stay in the EU and prosper within it? I don't think it's more important for banks. I do think it's extremely important for banks. I think it's very important for the insurance industry, for example, being an example of a financial services sector which absolutely does not have a real genuine single market across Europe. And so whether you look at it from the point of view of the industry or from the point of view of the consumer, you get a raw deal. One of the key reasons I suppose I mentioned banks was because maybe less so at HSBC than some others, but certainly big investment banks, big global banks require immigration, high quality immigrant workers to sustain their level of global competitiveness. That obviously would come under threat if there was a question mark over the UK's membership of the EU. Yes, it would. And I think the four foundational principles of the single market, which go right back into the early days of the common market, freedom of movement of goods, services, 
capital and labor. These are indeed foundational principles for any meaningful single market. And as I think everybody recognizes, it's important to the health of the city's business. It's important to the health of the financial services business around this country much more generally that we are able to use the skills that are essential to world-class success. Now, as I said at the start, this debate has been increasing in volume over the past days, particularly. Obviously, it's a six-month run-up until the next election and beyond that to a potential referendum. Do you think we're going to have this level of debate going on? for all of that period? I hope so, is the short answer, because I think this is extremely important for Britain. One of the lessons of the Scottish referendum experience was that it's important for business to speak up continuously and very clearly and coherently, of course, and through the processes. This will be an ongoing debate, discussion in this country between here and 2017, depending on what happens in 2017, of course. It's very important that the voice of business, and by the way, survey after survey, both in the financial services sector and in the real economy, show the same thing, that a large majority of businesses believe we should stay in and believe we should work to reform the European Union the way it works from within. Final point, do you think you're winning that debate with the general public? I believe there's no room for complacency. I am enough of an optimist to believe that the more you explain what the practical realities are, the more the theme will get through and people will understand something which I think we probably don't understand enough about now because the political rhetoric is so much the way it is, is the benefits of a single market, the benefits we already enjoy from the single market. There are plenty of imperfections, plenty of things to work on, but we need to see this as a project which is of really importance to the EU as a whole, but to Britain too. Lord Green, thank you very much for that. Thank you. On to our second topic for the day and the latest global regulatory proposals to come out of the Financial Stability Board. On Monday morning, we heard finally the long-expected news about what banks are going to have to hold in terms of so-called total loss-absorbing capital, or TLAC. Sam Fleming is on the ground in Basel. I gather it's raining, Sam, and also quite quiet, as it often is in Basel. But tell us, if you could, in summary, what exactly has come out of the FSB? Mark Carney, the chairman of the Financial Stability Board this morning, has unveiled this new standard you referred to, Patrick, the Total Loss Absorbing Capacity Standard, which is going to apply to the world's biggest banks. These are so-called GSIBs, globally systemically important banks, among them HSBC, JP Morgan, BNP Paribas, the big household names. The idea about these buffers that they're imposing is to ensure that if the banks get into trouble in the future, they don't need taxpayer bailouts the way they did last time around, notoriously in 2007 to 2009. The banks obviously already have capital buffers under the Basel III regime. What this is about is bailinable debt, additional capacity, which can be bailed in a crisis, ensuring that instead of of taxpayers carrying the can, it's the investors, the creditors of those banks who take the first hit. I think we trailed this a couple of weeks ago in the podcast, but it looks like the numbers are round about where we expected them to be. Yeah, exactly. It expresses a percentage of risk-weighted assets, the TLAC requirements, are very similar to the traditional capital requirement. The TLAC requirement they've spelled out today is between 16 and 20% of risk-weighted assets, excluding certain other buffers, which would, if you factor those in, take it from between 21 to 25% of risk-weighted assets. So as you said, that's pretty much in line with what, or exactly in line with what everyone expected. It is a range, however, I'd stress. So there's a certain amount of mileage ahead of us as they try and narrow this down. One of the things 
things Mark Carney pointed out this morning also is that this is a pillar one requirement. This is a standard requirement that applies to everyone. On top of that, individual regulators will be able to impose a pillar two requirement, a secret bank-specific requirement on uh, the GSIB banks, which could raise the standard even further. So just be clear, this applies to these so-called GSIBs, the global systemically important banks, of which there are how many? There are 30 at the moment, GSIB. The names are, as I said earlier, pretty much the ones that you'd expect, the very biggest banks, the HSBCs and JP Morgans. Interestingly, emerging market banks have not been included in this round, this early iteration of the TLAC standard. That is very good news for the big state-owned Chinese banks, which are effectively being left out of this. Maybe less good for the safety of the world, though. Indeed. Well, I think presumably the argument there is that these are state-owned institutions, and so if there was a major financial crisis in China, the Chinese taxpayer will have to step in. But the idea is that the locus of the last big financial crisis in 2007-9 to was the US and Europe. That's where large numbers of banks needed bailouts, and that's, in a sense, the most pressing, urgent need. Two final quick questions. Firstly, what does this mean for the big banks? How much more bailable debt are they going to have to issue in order to comply with these numbers? And finally, is there likely to be a kind of trickle-down effect to smaller banks beyond those 30 biggest? The numbers, because we're dealing with a range still, 16 to 20 percent, 21 to 25, depending on how you cut it, it's difficult to put any hard numbers on it. Analysts are talking about hundreds of billions of extra debt having to be sold. There are tentative estimates out there suggesting that some of the banks which could be hit hardest would include the big continental European banks, BNP Paribas, Santander, Sokgen, and so on, may have to sell quite a lot of fresh debt. But everyone will be trying to work out their own numbers this morning, and there's a way to go before they can really hammer out specific figures. So I think there's certain mileage really ahead of us on that. In terms of the idea of trickle-down, this is something that banks are worried about. When a standard gets rolled out like this, there is a question as to whether investors try and hold other important banks to a similar standard, even if they're not formally part of the GSIB family. And that is definitely something to watch, I think, in the coming years. Very good. Sam in Basel, thank you so much. On to our final topic for the day. Daniel, you had a very interesting story in Monday's FT about UBS preparing to settle alleged abuses in the precious metals market. We also have the prospect of the big FX settlement, the foreign exchange, again, alleged abuses in the pricing of that market to come later in the week. It's all coming to a head. Yes, it is. So what we reported on Monday is that UBS, in a way, is a unique case. Unlike the other banks, there's a big group of at least six banks that will settle over forex trading allegations. UBS is unique in the sense that they have an integrated foreign exchange and precious metals business. So basically, the traders sit on the same floor And also, they've got the same management for both businesses. So alongside the investigation into possible market manipulation in the currencies market, they also launched an investigation into the precious metals dealings, which mainly is really gold and silver trading. And we have found out now that UBS on this Wednesday, when there will be this big FX group settlement, we expect several regulators from the UK and the US to settle with several banks, that UBS will also settle some allegations of problematic incidences of trading misbehavior they'd found in the precious metals business. Now, what precedent is there in terms of the precious metals market? Because there's been a lot of chatter for some time that this would be the next area where we would have greater probes and potential settlements. Have any other banks settled over precious metals abuses yet? Yeah. 
Yes, there has been a bit. So this year, there's been a bit of a focus on that with the FCA earlier this year in May, they fined Barclays £26 million because an options trader at Barclays was found to have manipulated the London gold fix. And in Germany, we're seeing Bafin, the financial regulator there, investigating the gold market and specifically Deutsche Bank. So there has been a bit of a focus there. There has also been in the past few years repeated allegations of manipulation in the gold as well as the silver markets. And the CFTC in the US has been looking at the silver markets for quite some time, but they are understand to have dropped the investigation because they didn't really find anything. Now, our understanding in terms of UBS is that it's not the FCA that will settle with them. And it's very likely also not going to be about the gold market. So it may well be that it's a US regulator and then it's connected to the silver market, but we don't know that for sure. A final point on this, Daniel, as you said, Wednesday is the day for the headline FX settlement, definitely with the FCA in the UK potentially with one or two other authorities in the US. Who is implicated by this and what are we expecting in terms of amounts of settlement? This will be the first big group settlement we've seen in any of the trading scandals we had. With LIBOR, it was always a piecemeal approach where they would settle with individual banks. But this time, it's going to be several regulators, the FCA, as you'd mentioned, very likely also the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, a US authority, and very likely also the Commodity Futures Trading Commission in the US, and Switzerland, FINMA also. So these three, four, five, we don't know the exact number yet, regulators will settle with a core group of six banks, which will be Barclays, Citigroup, HSBC, JP Morgan, Royal Bank of Scotland, and UBS. In addition to that, there'll be Bank of America settling with US authorities, but not the FCA. It will be a whopper in terms of the fines because mm. there are so many banks involved and so many regulators. So we've seen in recent weeks that banks have set aside a combined more than $5 billion in legal provisions, most of which will be for the Forex settlement. And the FCA alone is going to charge the six banks a combined at least least 1.5 billion pounds so it will be a very big headline number that we're going to see on wednesday absolutely well all the details will be revealed as you say on wednesday thank you for that that's it for this week all that's left for me to do is to thank lord green for joining us this morning as well as daniel here in the studio and sam from basel thank you also for listening remember you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com banking Banking Weekly was produced by John Byrne Murdoch. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.